there could be physical resilience, there could be psychological resilience, there could be financial resilience, it could be one of those things one day and another thing another day. At the end of it all is really that resilience means a strength and a survivability that exists maybe even in settings where we don't expect to find it. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard, and I want to quickly thank our sponsor, BetterHelp. You can get a week free by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. Calling into the show today, we have Dr. Jennifer Ashton. Dr. Ashton is the chief medical correspondent for ABC News and Good Morning America. She's also the author of the book on finding resilience in the time of COVID titled The New Normal. Dr. Ashton, welcome to the show. Thanks, Gabe, for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, Dr. Ashton, your book is titled The New Normal, A Roadmap to Resilience in the Pandemic Era, and it was released in February of this year. And one of the things that I've noticed online, especially in doing research for this show, is that the phrase the new normal is not so liked anymore. Have you noticed that? Do you have an opinion on that? (laughs) No, you know what? I actually, um, so first of all, some behind the scenes kind of information for your listeners. I can't speak for other authors, but The New Normal was my sixth book. So this was not my first rodeo in the publishing world. And with every single book, I will say that the title was largely selected by the publisher and or editor with my kind of approval and tweaking. The reason for that is because the publishers and editors this is what they do <laughs> for a living. You know, they, they can take content and then say, okay, let me think of what the best title is for that. Um, no different really than how producers in television will package content and, you know, write, let's say the tease for the segment or something like that. So when my publishing team at HarperCollins and William Morrow Books, when they picked Uh, or suggested the title, The New Normal, I said, I hate that term. (laughs) 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 I, I I actually said, that makes me cringe. Why do you think that's a good title? And they basically described exactly what you did in your question. And they said, and remember, this was six months before the book came out. So this was in the, the fall of 2020. And they said, you know, this is going to be a buzz term and it's, people are going to be using this and it's going to generate very strong feelings. And, I'm going to, and I said, right. I mean, I, I can't stand that term. <laughs> so they said, why do you dislike it? And I said, well, because I think there's nothing normal about what's going on. And it's at a certain point, not new anymore. And they said, Exactly. So it's almost like an oxymoron or a double entendre or a tongue in cheek. They, they described it any number of ways in the literary world. And I realized that, as usual, they were right. There was enough to that that sparked conversation and emotional reaction that I trusted them and said, OK, uh, let's compromise. I'll settle on that for the main title if I can 
give you the subtitle. And as we've done with several of my books, we agreed that that was the good compromise. Resilience is one of those concepts that has a lot of personal opinion mixed in with fact. For example, I may think it's resilient to finish a race when I've lost, whereas someone else may think that it's only resilient to find a way to win. With so much ambiguity, how do you clearly communicate and teach about resiliency in the way that you do? Well, I always use my starting point to be what I would tell an individual person or patient. And that's really what I use to inform my segments. It's how I often say my job as chief medical correspondent makes me a better doctor and being a real practicing doctor makes me a better medical correspondent. I've learned a lot in the 16 years that I've been in practice, and I've learned a lot in the 16 years that I've been doing uh, national television. And I really drew on that heavily in the last, I would say, four and a half years for different reasons. But I feel like what we've all been living through has really kind of forced us all to get up close and personal with this concept of resilience. And I think the short answer to your question is that resilience means different things to different people. There could be physical resilience, there could be psychological resilience, there can be financial resilience. It could be one of those things one day and another thing another day. At the end of it all is really that resilience means a strength and a survivability that exists maybe even in settings where we don't expect to find it. Dr. Ashton, for you personally, how do you define resilience? Um, I define it as doing something that you didn't think you could do. And whether that's surviving a diagnosis or living through the loss of a loved one, a death of a loved one, or the end of a relationship or the end of a job. I've in some ways experienced a lot of those things personally. And certainly we all know someone who's experienced those things by now. For me, I kind of am a glass is half full type of person. So I look at resilience always with a positive spin, which is how much better are you than you thought you actually were? And I I think that definitely the pandemic, but also just life experiences that we've been through recently that I've been through has really taught me a lot about resilience. I'm very much a glasses half empty kind of person. <laughs> understand, <laughs> And I just say that because I do understand resiliency. And as somebody who lives with bipolar disorder, who's somebody who is fired from their job, as somebody who's been through a lot, even though I am still very pessimistic, I still think that I'm very resilient. Is there a space in resiliency for people like me? Am I allowed to consider myself resilient? Oh, I mean, definitely. I, I think that, again, there's no, there, there is a definition, obviously, in Webster's, but I think that it will mean different things to different people. And whether or not you're pessimistic at heart is not exactly the same thing as resilience. Resilience, I think, means you can withstand or tolerate more than you thought you could. That doesn't mean that you're enjoying it, right? That doesn't mean you're putting a positive spin on it. It just means that something that you didn't think you'd be able to get through, you are. 
One of the reasons that I never liked math in school is because it was absolute. I, I was always attracted to things that had discussion, philosophy, for example. You can just you can just debate that until you're blue in the face and there's there's never any way to arrive there. And I sort of feel like resiliency is one of those things that how you survive, how you move forward is in some ways very personal, but it has a common thread. Am I speaking about resiliency correctly as an analogy for our listeners, or am I completely off? No, I think that you're right. I think that is an accurate way of thinking about it. For me, I'll give, I'll make this concrete. I'll give you um, a personal anecdote that I've spoken about in my book, Life After Suicide. And in that book, which I wrote in 2018, I talk about the experience that my children and I had after my ex-husband and their father died by suicide just four years ago. And for us, that was really the first time that we experienced what having resilience means, because what did we have to do? Well, A, we had to keep living. We had to figure out a way to live with our grief and sadness and pain, but at the same time, not become sad or angry people on the planet, which is not easy to do sometimes. My children had to go back to school. I had to go back to work. There were just realities of how we dealt with that loss. And so for us, being resilient looks like, well, we got through it. We are getting through it. We'll always be getting through it. And in some ways, we found that we were stronger than we thought. I can speak for both of them. They're both not minors anymore. They're 21 and 23 years of age. But I think I can speak for all of us when I say that before Rob's death, if someone had come to me and said, do you think that the three of you could survive a suicide death of your children's father, I would have, it would have been unfathomable for me to even answer that question. And but on some levels, I probably would have wanted to say, no, I don't think we could survive that because no one thinks they can survive anything, you know, a diagnosis of cancer or an accident or losing their home or any, any of those things, a breakup, losing their job. But in fact, most people do survive. And so right off the bat, that resilience is kind of your lived experience through something like that. And then on top of it, it's it's how you interpret you've come out of it. So my children and I, and we talk about our story in life after suicide, but I also share the stories of other survivors who really are the walking embodiment of resilience because it was very important to us not to not to make Rob's memory kind of be tainted by in some way by the way he died and by the way he ended his life. We all wanted to live in a way that honored his memory and honored the incredible life he had. And we know that when someone dies by suicide, that is not really that different than dying of cancer. It doesn't make them a bad person. It's a, it's a disease that took their life. And we wanted to figure out a way to live through it and live without him in a way that honored his spirit, honored his life, but also kind of cared for 
us as the survivors. And so for us, that's really, I think when we think about resilience, that's what comes to mind. And that's a process. Before you shared with me that story, and and I'm very sorry for your loss, and thank you so much for being open. Before you shared with me that story, I, I thought resilience was just something you were born with. You're either resilient or you're not. But my mind is, is shifting, and in fact, it's shifting rapidly. It sounds like resilience is something that you can learn. Is resilience something you can learn? Oh, I definitely think you can learn it. But I also think some people are born resilient. And I think that that's why it's a kind of a vague and elusive definition or target, if you will. There are a lot of people who have lived through very, very difficult experiences. And so you would say, wow, you just obviously you were born resilient. You were born to deal with these things. But then there are people that you would kind of be surprised or least expect it from. And I think that in a lot of ways, it is a trait or a skill or a habit or characteristic that can be cultivated and practiced. And, And I actually think that when that is the case, resilience begets more resilience. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? I know managing my mental health and a busy recording schedule seemed impossible until I found BetterHelp Online Therapy. They can match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. Just visit BetterHelp.com slash PsychCentral to save 10% and get a week free. That's BetterHelp.com slash PsychCentral. Join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Hey everyone, my name is Rachel Star Withers and I live with schizophrenia. I'm also the host of Inside Schizophrenia, a podcast that dives deep into all things schizophrenia, featuring personal experiences and experts to help you better understand and navigate schizophrenia. Inside Schizophrenia is a Psych Central and Healthline Media podcast, and we're available right now on your favorite podcast player. Check us out. And we're back with Good Morning America's Dr. Jennifer Ashton discussing resiliency. For the longest time, I never considered myself resilient at all. And what finally convinced me was just the sheer number of people that kept saying, Gabe, you're resilient. Look at all you've done. Look at all you survived. So it, it's great. It's wonderful mm-hmm. that I have uh, wonderful people around me. I mean, a big shout out to my family and friends. <laughs> but how can somebody know personally whether or not they're resilient Well, as I said, I don't think it's as simple as yes or no. There's a test for resilience and you either pass it or you don't. But the one question that I think is helpful for people to ask themselves is, am I in a better place today than I was yesterday or this week than I was last week or this month or this year or even this hour? And I think that that can be helpful to define resilience Obviously, it's very subjective, but another question that people can ask is, am I surprising myself with the way I'm handling X, Y, or Z? I I always think it's helpful in medicine for perspective. I oftentimes have to deliver some unpleasant diagnoses to people, and 
they're upsetting and they're upsetting when you look at them in isolation. But then if you compare or bring in a sense of perspective, which is, look, this is bad, but it always could be worse. And I think that that is helpful. And it's even helpful when you when you ask yourself, am I doing better than I was before? That's one way that you can get at how am I doing? Do I feel resilient? Am I surprising myself with how I'm handling this? Did I think that I was going to come out of this in as good a condition? And by the way, could give you zillions of medical physical examples. It becomes harder when these are non-physical, when they're life examples or psychological or emotional examples. Anytime there's hard data, whether it's your finances or your physical condition, it's easy, it's easier to answer that. But in my career as a practicing OBGYN, I've delivered over 1,500 babies. And if I had a dollar for every time a woman said to me, oh my God, I can't believe I, I just did that, it would be probably $1,500. I mean, it could be a physical feat, but it also could be emotional or psychological. It could be all those things. Along those same lines, how can a person increase their resilience? Because it sounds like we can always have more. Well, sure. I think it's always something that I look at it like it's a bit of an athletic endeavor, right? So I say, how am I doing today? Did I surprise myself with my performance or how I'm feeling? And how can I tee myself up to do even better tomorrow? And Maybe that's with your controlling your emotions or modulating your behavior. Maybe that's with certain lifestyle practices like getting more sleep or meditating. Um, today, for example, I, I woke up and I was feeling super stressed, mentally and physically stressed. And I was looking down the barrel of a 15-hour workday and I'm looking down the barrel of a 75 hour work week. And I was just feeling super stressed. And right after I got off the air on Good Morning America this morning, I meditated in my dressing room for 20 minutes. And I absolutely felt a dramatic improvement. So for me, that's how I'm trying to bolster my resilience to this acutely stressful week in a month, this week won't matter. You know, I won't be looking back at this week and say, oh my God, that was such a brutal week. I'll just say, oh, okay, well, it was another week. (laughs) But meditating definitely helped me through it. It sounds like coping skills are a personal trait that one could cultivate to improve their resilience. For for you, it was meditation, and I'm I'm sure you probably have other coping skills as well. But is that accurate? Are there coping skills that in, can increase our resilience? I think they're whether you call them coping skills or whether you call them just life skills or behaviors. I definitely think so. And I think, again, if you're talking, if I'm talking about the physical condition of a surgical patient, for example, resilience would be what what kind of condition are you in before I take you to the OR? What kind of condition is a woman in before she gets pregnant and has a baby? Um, That's something that can only help in terms of the way someone comes out of something, whether that's standard definition of physical fitness or whether that's different for different persons, they're both okay. 
I think it's physical. I think it's behavioral. I think it's social and emotional. To give you a, a psychological example, my children and I, since Rob's suicide, are constantly plugged in to uh, our therapist, to a mental health professional. And we try to check in with her, even when things are quote unquote smooth and going well and all positive, we tend to check in with her more when we're needing her guidance. (laughs) But the bottom line is that's part of how we maintain or try to grow psychological resilience is by having coping strategies in place so that when we need them, they're there and they're not unfamiliar. Very similar to how an athlete would do the same thing physically. One of the questions that keeps coming up in my pessimistic mind, and and remember, I've, I've already copped to being a pessimist, isn't resilience just another way to say, be optimistic or look at the bright side of things? Definitely not. As a matter of fact, when I was listening to your question, what I was reminded of is a really important book that I read around 2014, 2015, called The Resilience Dividend by Judith Roden. And in that book, Dr. Roden, she used to be the CEO of the Rockefeller Foundation, and she was the first female president of an Ivy League university. She was the president of Penn. And in the book, Dr. Roden talks about resilience of systems, of cities, of countries, of corporations. She really doesn't talk about the resilience of individuals. And there's a lot in that book that I've drawn upon in the last year and a half of the pandemic, again, both personally and kind of big picture. And she talks about things like being adaptable, being able to incorporate new information in your actions as one of the key six pillars for developing resilience, how to weather a storm in situations with great uncertainty. That's a measure of resilience. And again, she's talking about this on a macro level. You and I are talking about it more on a micro level or an individual level, but it has nothing to do with seeing it in a rosy view. You know, she talks about how the city of Boston got through the the marathon bombing and that certainly there, there was not a lot to look at there like from an optimistic standpoint, right? I mean, people were killed, people were maimed. Um, It was horrible, but they still came through it with this resilience. And I think that has nothing to do with whether someone's a pessimist or not. Thank you so much for for clarifying that. Once again, I'm married to an optimist, and, and I, I know it's opposites attract, right? And, and I've always been curious about the way that well-known concepts like resilience play out in each of our minds and where we both end up. And often we both end up in the same place. Now, in your book, you table resilience with the pandemic. We all need to be resilient, well, to survive a worldwide pandemic. And I'm, I'm seeing how that's playing out in my household During your research and your writing for the book, what did you discover about resilience when looking at an entire nation going through the same thing and needing to have resiliency? What I saw from from the country is that there were people who stepped up in ways that I know surprised not only them, but people around them. 
um, there were systems that stepped up in ways that were unexpected. Um, and as part of that whole experience, there were also spotlights that were shown on what didn't go well. And I think that's part of trying to cultivate resilience is taking a view of something in a critical way and saying, what worked, what didn't work? What, what do I want to amplify and what do I want to minimize? And what do I want to see more of? And what do I want never to see again? <laughs> and I think that uh, as a country, there were a plethora of examples on all those fronts. But I think that at the end of the day, we saw not only from sectors of our society to individuals that we can withstand a lot. Dr. Ashton, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your candor and answering all of our questions. <laughs> Do you have a website that people can uh, can find all of your social media, your book? I, I mean, I know your book is available on Amazon, wherever fine books are sold, but what's your website? My, my website is jenniferashtonmd.com, but I have to tell you that I engage most with uh, the public on my Instagram, which is at drjashton. I run it myself. I don't have someone else uh, running it for me. So it's truly authentic. And I feel that people are nice. <laughs> um, but it, it's an open kind of honest space for interaction. And I don't know, you may not like it because you, you admit to being a pessimist. But I, I do think <laughs> that my, my Instagram tends to be a place of positivity. And I feel like we all need that. Well, thank you so much for saying that. And, you know, I, I, I met, fell in love with, and have been married to for 10 years, the most optimistic person I know. I, I often <laughs> joke with her that if our house caught on fire, she would become happy because it meant that we got s'mores. That. There you go. <laughs> that's the level of optimism I'm dealing with in my household. So <laughs> I I do see the value in it. Thank you so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Well, you are very welcome. And to all of our listeners, a great big thank you. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness is an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as an award-winning public speaker who is available for your next event. My book is on Amazon because what isn't, or you can get a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me just by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It's absolutely free. And please recommend the show to your friends and family. You can do it via social media or word of mouth is absolutely still a thing. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. 
One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.